0: Guys, thanks so much for being here this morning at our nine o'clock. I wanna say hi to everybody over in Classic. Thank you for being here. I know you guys missed Pastor Jim this morning. And uh, if you see Pastor Jim in the hallway, tomorrow is his birthday. I think he turns like 32, something like that. So make sure you tell him happy birthday. If you don't have a set of sermon notes, why don't you put your hands up, uh, or just one hand will do. One of our ushers will get you a copy of sermon notes. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 15. If you have a Bible app, on your phone. You can turn there too. If you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, Most of the passages are going to be in your sermon notes this morning. And I just got to say, doesn't the stage look awesome this morning? Uh, uh, We're getting ready for VBS, as you know. And uh, Jim mentioned that we have all the volunteers that we need, but what he didn't mention is that is over 300 adults that are serving our kids this week. That's pretty incredible. And, uh, if you don't have your kids signed up yet, find one of the people that are wearing a shirt that looks like this this morning. They can help you register your kids. So, so has everybody got their stuff? We're all ready to go. We're all ready to jump into this new series, Despicable Me. You know, I, I want to ask you, is this a safe place for me to make a confession this morning? Is this a safe place? Okay, good. I'm glad because I was going to do it even if it wasn't. Um, I, I, here's my confession. I'm 37 years old, but you know what? I like to eat like I'm 27 years old. And I work hard all week to kind of watch what I eat, but there is one particular day that I just, I just kind of give up, and it's actually today. My confession is at the end of the 1140 service, when I get home, it's going to be about 1.30 or 2 o'clock, and I will have done church five times. You guys think you get worn out after church one time? When you do it five times, in a weekend. I'll get home hiding. The kids will have already eaten. They've, they've, they've already, you know, the table's put away. And so it's not like I'm going home to a, 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 a meal that has a start and a stop. And so here's what I do. I walk into the house. I get something to drink in my hand. I get something to eat in my hand and I start eating and drinking and I don't stop until I go to bed. It's just something about Sunday afternoons and I am just a glutton and can I just tell you I feel terrible and wonderful the whole time I'm doing. Can you relate to that at all? Maybe it's not food, but you have something in your life that is like that. There is this battle that wages inside you. You fight this battle with yourself and that's what this series is all about. It's about winning over me, winning over that part of us that we hate and yet somehow it gains victory in our life. And In case you ever felt like you were the only one, and in case I was feeling like I'm the only only one that has struggles like that, the Apostle Paul records his own personal struggle with himself in Romans chapter 7. I want you to read it with me. It starts in verse 15. Paul writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that is what I keep on doing. Can you relate? So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul's writing this out, and, and he, he proclaims there in, in verse 24, what I feel every Sunday night. While well, I'm trying to get comfortable in my bed, but I can't because I'm so bloated from eating. Oh, I feel so terrible. Why do I do this every Sunday, right? Paul writes that. And and that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about the fact that there is this battle that happens within us that we must win because what's within us comes out of us and impacts us at every point in our life. I'm gonna say that again because it's so important. There is this battle that happens within us that we must win because what's within us comes out of us and impacts us at every point in our life. You know, we as 21st century Americans, we pay a lot of attention to what we put into our bodies. We pay a lot of attention to what we eat and what we drink, and we should because, you know, it's good to be healthy, and, and, and what you eat, it impacts your health, it impacts your, your energy level, a lot of different things, and so that's why I eat McDonald's. And I love the reaction you get from people when you admit to eating at McDonald's, right? It, it's one of two reactions. The first is this look that's like, oh, I didn't know I was better than you. <laughs> or they just can't hold it in. I remember I was putting my kids in the van one day and one of my friends were beside me or with me there. And, and I said to the kids, hey, you guys want to go get some chicken McNuggets? And he went, huh? He said, seriously? Are you kidding? And I was like. No, no, I don't, I don't eat at McDonald's. Who eats at McDonald's, right? I mean, nobody eats at McDonald's. You ever been there and saw someone you know, and you're all of a sudden, you're like trying to hide. And you're like, no, I'm, just not, I'm not here. You know, turn into the Hamburglar or something. I, I don't know. But it's funny, nobody admits to eating at McDonald's and yet they sell over 600 billion hamburgers a year, Right? And there are only 300 million people in the United States. So I'm not a calculus professor, but I think maybe everybody's lying. (laughs) But but McDonald's, right? We don't don't put that in our bodies. It's funny. I was in the car with, with Riley, my oldest, the other day, and we were driving. We were in a new area, and we were both hungry. And so we passed the McDonald's. Like, well, maybe we should just eat at McDonald's. And Riley's like, Dad, we can't eat at McDonald's. Nobody knows where their meat comes from. And she said, and you guys have heard this, it's made with pink slime, yeah? yeah? McDonald's, right? And it's not just McDonald's. There's this whole list of things that we can't eat anymore, like non-organic milk. I grew up drinking... Just milk, you know, good old whole milk. It had all the antibiotics in it, had all the steroids in it, it, had, it just had everything in it. But, but we can't drink that stuff anymore. No, the Clarks, we buy organic milk. I had to stop and get milk on the way home yesterday. You know how much I spent on a gallon of milk? $6.99 on a gallon of milk. And we have seven people in our family. No lie, we go through a gallon of milk a day. You know how much money that is a month I spend on milk? I spend almost $200 a month on milk. You know what I could have for $200 a month? Not milk. <laughs> Seriously, I'm thinking they should change their slogan from got milk to not milk. And I got one more thing. I just got while I'm going. I, just gotta say, I think another thing we should stop putting into our body is celery. And here's why. You realize that celery only has two calories per serving. And yet when you eat a serving of celery, you burn eight calories. So think about it. Eating celery will actually kill you. It takes more calories to eat celery than you actually get. And so here's my point. My point is this. Not milk, not celery, but McDonald's. And here's why. Because there are enough calories in one fry to sustain you for a month. And it's cheap. It's cheap. Okay. Why did I do that? I wanna have a little bit of fun, but also because I wanted to make the point that we pay so much attention to what we put in our bodies. We pay a lot of attention to what we put in our bodies, but Jesus said, hey, don't worry so much about what you put into your bodies. Worry more, pay more attention to what is going on in your heart because what's within us comes out of us and impacts us at every point in our life, and it's your first point. Jesus said what's in your heart is what's most important. And your heart is that part of you, your heart is that part of you that, that philosophers and poets and preachers are always referring to. It's that invisible part, that ethereal part. Your heart is who you are on the inside. It's the inner you. And in this series, we're going to be talking about your heart. Your heart is that part of you that got broken in the eighth grade when what's her name broke up with you. You know, for me, her name was Brandy Ballantyne, and she broke up with me the very day after she held my hand at the fair. I mean, man. Dads, it's that part of you that swells up with pride when you see your kid do something awesome. It's also that part of you that wants to wring the coach's neck when he makes your kid ride the pine the whole game. It's that part of you that gets all nostalgic when you hear that Brian Adams song that you first listened to the night that Brandy Ballantyne broke up with you after holding your hands at the fair. It's the inner you. It's the part of you that gets broken, swells up with pride, and wants to wring someone's neck. It's the part of you that enables you to love and to laugh and to fear and to experience life. It's the part of you in which relationships happen, and it's the part of you in which relationships get broken. And listen, it's the part of you that life is the hardest on. And so that's why you have to learn to pay attention to it. See, Solomon in Proverbs 4, the wisest man to ever live, he wrote these words to his son in verse 20. He says, my son, pay attention to what I say. He's like, hey, hey, son, listen up. Pay attention to this. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them turn out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's own body. Above all else, above all else, above all else, son, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from your heart. See, it's what's in your heart that's what's most important because what's within us comes out of us and impacts us at every point in our life. And so I want to ask you this. How's your heart this morning? Is everything okay with your heart? Probably some dudes in here being like, you know, you just woke up and you're like, well, yeah, I think so. I, I've had a little like indigestion, but I took some Tums. and it's good. No, no, your heart, your inner man. Your inner man. I know that I know that's an awkward question. I know that makes us uncomfortable. You'd rather me ask you, how's your career? How are your finances? How's your health? But how's your heart? That, that's something we don't ask ourselves very often. I think that's because if you're like me, you've learned to manage your behavior. You're much better at monitoring your behavior than you are your heart. See, as children, we're, monitor, we're taught to monitor our behavior, right? What's that word we get told from our parents? Hey, behave. And I, I do it all the time. It's a good thing. I mean, it, it's a good thing. But I learned as a kid to monitor my behavior to avoid pain and I bet you did too. I bet you did too, and I bet you're still doing it. You know, there's probably someone at at your office or the place where you work or where you go to school that you don't feel all that good about in your heart, and yet you probably do a pretty good job at monitoring your behavior, most likely because if you acted on the outside like you feel on the inside, you might lose your job. And you know what? Because you like to eat and because you like to live indoors, you've learned to monitor your behavior, right? And we've all experienced this with church. Those of us who are church folks, we've all been on that car ride to church and it's been a tough week on our hearts. And there's some conflict in our family and maybe there's some conflict in the car, but what happens? We drive onto the parking lot and there's something that happens when you cross onto that church property. Well, maybe not, because sometimes you can keep it going in the car. Then you get to to your spot and when that door opens and you see that first other church person, what do we do? We, we monitor our behavior and we just push down the heart. And again, there's some prudence to that. I struggle with that as a pastor. Can I just tell you? I mean, there can be craziness going on on the inside. Maybe there's been a difficult week. Maybe it's just I, whatever's going on, on the inside. But when I, this is work, okay? And, and most people like their pastors to be nice. And because I like to eat and because I like to live indoors, I've learned to be nice. And I don't want you to think I'm fake, but honestly, sometimes I'm faking it. <laughs> we all have learned that, right? We've all learned that. And if you're not careful, monitoring your behavior at the expense of your heart can lead you to become two different people. And when Jesus bumped into these types of people, it drove him crazy. And this is where we're going to get into our passage, Matthew chapter 15. And, and you're, you're in your sermon notes, it starts at verse seven. We didn't have enough room for the whole passage, but I'm going to just get you in. So listen to me as I read verse one. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. They're basically saying, hey, you guys eat at McDonald's. I mean, wh- you're putting this stuff in your body. You're, you're, you're breaking some laws here. You, you, need to, you need to wash ceremoniously. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? He just kind of goes on a little tyrant here, just reams them for the, the, the difference between who they are on the inside and who they are on the outside. Pick it up in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he goes on to say, you're singing songs, but I'm not listening. Verse 10, he he turns his attention from the Pharisees and he calls to the crowd. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. Jesus says, now wait, I'm gonna teach you something here. Listen. And listen, not just to hear, but listen to understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And there's a little pause in the story where Peter kind of pulls Jesus aside because you know how Peter liked to help Jesus out? Peter pulls Jesus aside and said, hey, hey, Jesus, did you know that you just made the Pharisees upset? (laughs) And I could just imagine the conversation that, uh, you know, he's like, which part? When I called them blind guides, when I called them hypocrites, when I basically told them that they were leading the entire nation uh, away from God. Which, really, Peter? Thanks for telling me that. And then Peter says something else profound. Look at this next verse. He says, okay, then, verse 15. Can you explain that parable to us again? I love this part because Jesus is just a dude here. He says, okay, are you still so dull? Really, Peter, are you still so dull? Is this that difficult? But I'm going to break it down for you just in case you don't get it. Here we go. Peter, the, the, Peter, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Peter, are you good with how that works? Do I need to explain that any further? Are we all on the same page here? Goes into the mouth, goes into the stomach, and then exits the body. Okay, we're good. But, Peter, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. See, Jesus said it is important to monitor your heart because what's in your heart eventually comes out in your behavior. What's in your heart eventually comes out in your behavior. And we know how to monitor our behavior. We've been taught to monitor our behavior But Jesus said, if you only pay attention to monitoring your behavior and you don't learn to monitor your heart, there's gonna come a day when what's on the inside, where your heart is gonna outpace your ability to monitor your behavior. And if what's on the inside isn't healthy, that is gonna be an ugly day. And so Jesus said, don't pay so much attention to what you put in, pay attention to what's in and what's coming out. We've all experienced this, right? Have you ever done something or said something and been and then, and then right after you did it, you were like, where'd that come from? That's not me. Where, where'd that come from? Or if that hasn't happened to you, then you've seen someone. You've seen someone take what seems like a total left-hand turn in their life or done something that's totally out of character. And you've been like, yeah, but how did that happen? They were so, I mean, she was, I, I mean, how? Here's what happened. At some point, they stop paying attention to their heart. And we have to learn to pay attention to our hearts. And oftentimes what happens, we'll sense something unhealthy inside of us. And we'll be aware of it. But no, we push it down and we think, no, 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 I've got it under control. I've learned to manage my behavior. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's dangerous. Because listen, if Jesus is right, and he usually is, What's in my heart will eventually manifest itself in my behavior. And this whole idea of the inner man, it can be a little ethereal, it can be a little, ethereal, can be a little hard to, to grab a hold of. And so I've got a little diagram that I want to just spend some time in with you. It's on your, your sermon notes here. Guys, can you go ahead and take me to the whiteboard? What you have here is a picture of you. This is a picture of you and me. We've got these two circles. And that outer circle is the outer Oh, I'm writing in purple. I'm going to go ahead and change that to black. Okay, you guys with me? Um, It's the outer me. Don't you love my penmanship? This thing makes you look like you're in, in kindergarten again. But the outer me, okay? And so what happens over here? This is the outside world. And you've got outside, external, environmental things that impact your life. And they come through your five senses. What are your senses? Taste, feel, smell, sight, and sound. Five senses. And so you bring into the outer you the things in the outer world through your senses. But we don't just react physically. No. First, all of those things come into our inner me. And our inner me, this is in in scripture, uh, the the inner me is sometimes referred to as the heart. It's sometimes referred to as the soul. And even sometimes the word spirit would be used. But it's the idea in this series, we're going to be just referring to it as the heart. But the inner you is really made up of three main things. The first is your mind, and this is how you think. And then your emotions, this is how you feel. And then your will, and this is what you do, or this is how you choose. And so the way life works, okay, is you have these things that come into your world through your senses, through your outer me, and they come into your inner me. And as something comes into your life, you begin to think about it, you begin to feel about it, and then you react to it, and it comes out in your actions. And this is the way God put us together. And so what God, what Jesus said is everything, everything that comes out of you here comes from this inner part of us. And so we need to learn to pay attention to our heart. And the reason why, Prover, or why, why Solomon said when he was talking to uh, his son, why he's used the word guard there is because what ends up happening in childhood is things impact our hearts and it hurts Or things impact our hearts, and we begin to feel insecure or afraid. We begin to think about ourselves in unhealthy ways. And because we're kids, and because we're immature, and because we grow up in an imperfect world with imperfect authority, we begin to develop unhealthy reactions and patterns. And that's why, as adults, so many times, we just have reactions that we developed as patterns as kids. And things are going through our inner man, but we just... It just goes. And so we have to learn to pay attention to our hearts. Can I tell you how this works in the Clarks family? we, 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 you know, we got five kids and, and five kids isn't quite enough for Heidi. And so what she does is she just likes to have, and, but it's enough for me. And so what she likes to do is just have other people's kids at the house. And this week there were about nine kids at our house. It was Heidi and nine kids and she was in heaven. And so they were in the backyard playing. And, and, and at one point, one of our little guys came in the house and he's sitting on the couch and Heidi took note of it. And she said, Hey buddy, what you doing? He's like, I'm just hanging. I'm just resting. And so she's just paying attention, and we've been paying special close attention to this particular guy, to this one of our little guys, because we, we really know that he's been, he's been struggling in his heart. He's got some, he's got some, some struggles that th- our other kids don't have, some challenges, and you know how kids are. They point out when the kid who's got challenges has challenges, and so we've just been watching his little heart struggle, and so she, she noticed that he came in, and he just kind of shut down and kind of withdrew himself, and so she leaned in again, and no, mommy, I'm cool. I'm just resting, and finally she sat down beside him, and she said, buddy, what's wrong? What happened? Tell me, and so he, he, he kind of just, you know, he wasn't out of control weeping, but he just, you know, was heartbroken he said here's what he said well so and so is one of the little guys who was over so and so doesn't think that i can catch lizards (laughs) he 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 said i'm too little to catch lizards in fact he won't even let me pet the one that we caught and what he doesn't know is that when he's not here i catch lizards all the time now can i tell you what we would have done early in our parenting days we would have jumped all over that and went straight to behavior. We would have said, Hey, buddy, listen up. You are a host and he is your guest, and you have those lizards all day long in your backyard. This isn't about you, this is about him. And so you get back out there and you be a good friend and you celebrate him and all those behaviors that we want him. But you know what he was saying? It wasn't about the lizards, it was about my little guy feeling like he's not enough. My little guy, uh, getting to, to identify some weaknesses and challenges that he has in his life. Now listen, it's important for our kids to understand their weaknesses and for us as parents to help them accept them because the first step to really being able to develop your strengths are learning your weaknesses and being okay with that, right? Right? But listen, my wife had to just do some shepherding of our little guy's heart and she didn't jump right to behavior. Why? Because there was a little broken heart. And what does our son started to do? He started when he feels his weaknesses, he starts to shut down, he starts to put up walls and he starts to withdraw himself. And if we don't help him guard his heart now, he will develop an unhealthy habit and pattern to avoid that pain that he feels. And... And we'll struggle with that the rest of his life. And that's why, parents, we've got to help our kids. we got to guard their hearts. It's like that for our kids, but it's also like that for us. It's like that for me, and it's like that for you. And in this series, we're going to address four specific issues of the heart. Which these issues, guys, if left alone, they have the power to sabotage our lives. We're going to talk about four specific issues. And each of these issues, each of these things in our heart, they create a debt-to-debtor relationship dynamic in our heart. If you've ever had a relationship with someone and you've owed them money or vice versa, they've owed you money, you know that no matter what's going on on the surface of that relationship, below the surface there is that debt-to-debtor dynamic that impacts and affects and really limits the relationship. And that's what these four issues do. And so, when we talk about these issues, we're going to refer to them in a debt to debtor because they create this that dynamic in our lives and in our hearts. The first thing we're going to talk about. I'm going to talk about this next week is guilt, and guilt says I owe you. Guilt. When we have guilt in our hearts, it's because we feel like we have a secret. We feel like we owe someone an explanation or we owe someone an apology. But if we own our secret, we're afraid of the consequences of that. And so we deal with the guilt and it creates this debt. We carry this debt and this burden around. And guilt creates environments of suspicion. Because if I'm guilty, if I owe you, then what do you owe me? And so it puts up walls and it limits The next issue we're going to talk about is greed. And greed is a funny one. Greed means I owe me. And the funny thing about this one is no one ever feels like they struggle with greed. People say, yeah, I struggle with guilt. But I've never heard anyone say, yeah, I'm greedy. (laughs) It's just a weird thing. But we'll talk about this. Greed says I owe me. I owe me everything I want. I owe me everything I see. And greed creates environments of secrecy. Because we put up walls because we're afraid that people are going to discover what we have. And once they discover what we have, that they're going to want some of it. And it doesn't have to be financial. It can be in terms of time. It can be in terms of talent. And so it really affects and restricts our ability to have intimacy and in relationships. Because we, we have to protect what we have. The next thing we're going to talk about is jealousy. And jealousy says God owes me. God owes me what they have, not what I have. God owes me a bigger house. God owes me a better career. God owes me that body. Jealousy usually manifests itself in an inability to be honest because we become so insecure with who God has made us that we just feel insignificant compared to everyone else and so we don't really get to contribute to relationships. And the last one is anger and anger Anger says, you owe me. Anger comes because someone took something from us and now they owe us a debt that hasn't been paid. They took away our innocence. If, if we're a child of divorce, our parents, they took from us a, the opportunity to just have that happy bubble childhood and to grow up with mom and dad close. And, 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 and anger is, you owe me a debt. And anger creates environments where there is Fear fear. And if these four things are left to grow unchecked in our hearts, they'll sabotage our lives. My little bit of greed, my little bit of guilt, my little bit of anger, my little bit of jealousy, if I allow them to grow in my heart, they will eventually come out in my behavior. And that's why we have to win this battle with ourselves. Because everything that is within us comes out of us and impacts us at every point in our life. So I hope you're ready for this series. I know I am and if you are, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God can change your heart. God can change your heart and he'll do it as you take action. He'll do it as you take action action. Remember, remember the words that, that Paul wrote in Romans 7 when he said, oh, 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 wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? And guys, I want you, don't pack up. I want you to keep out your sermon notes because I, I, I want you to write something on here yet. But Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? That was verse 24. He goes on in verse 25 and he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I wanna bring this diagram back up because when you saw this picture, uh, this was a picture of someone who didn't have a relationship with God. We all come to this earth with an outer me, or with an outer me and an inner me, a, a, a body and a mind and, and emotions and a will, but when we call on Jesus to be the Lord of our lives something happens. The Bible teaches that he sends the spirit of God to live inside of our what? Our heart. The inner me. See, we have the outer me, and if you're a follower of God, you have the inner me, but inside of you, you have the almighty, all-powerful spirit of the living God indwelling in you. And what does the spirit of God do? The spirit of God teaches us. He leads us into all truth. And so what the Bible talks, you ever heard the Bible say that you need to renew your mind? The spirit of God in our inner mind, now through the word of God and through the, the church of God, the people of God, he teaches us to rethink about life and our role in life and our purpose in life. And then what else does he do? He's the comforter. And he, 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 gets, he teaches us how to submit what we've learned in terms of our emotions to how God feels about those things. And again, he uses the word of God, but here he really uses the people of God. And so the spirit of God in us renews our mind and teaches us how God feels about us and gives us the power and the ability to now submit our inner man to his spirit inside of us. But here's what we tend to do. We tend to go, okay, God, I have guilt. Change my heart. I'm angry. Change my heart. In fact, when I was growing up in the '90s, there was this this praise course, and we'd go like this: Change my heart, oh God, make it ever new. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like You. And we we'd sing that and sing that and sing that, and we always we feel that unhealthiness, and we're like, God, change my heart. And God's like, I already did. <laughs> I put my spirit in you. You have my power in you. You have my truth. And you have other believers who are coming along beside you. I will change your heart when you allow what I've put on the inside to come out. And how do you do that? You take action. You take action. And I'm holding my notes upside down. So I want to ask you, is everything okay with your heart? And if if while we're talking, you sense, you've been like, yeah, no, not everything is okay with my heart. Josh, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to take some action this morning, really simple action. Go to the front of your, just turn your study sheet, your sermon notes to the front page. There's some room to write, and I want you to write a one, a two, and a three. The first thing I want you to do is if you have one of those four issues in your heart, you might say, oh, I got all four, Josh. Well, listen, they didn't get there overnight, and they're not going to leave overnight. So just pick one. But say, this is in my heart, and I know it's in there. I'm taking note, and I want to take action. I've got guilt. I've got greed. I've got anger. I've got jealousy. Whatever that is in your heart, write that down. Then here's the second thing I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to write down the name of one person that you're going to talk to this week someone that you know loves you, someone that you can trust, someone, and you're just gonna say this, you're gonna say, hey, we're doing this new series at church and it's talking about winning the battle in our hearts and, and I, I am struggling with anger in my heart. Will you pray for me that God will change my heart? And if they ask anything more, don't tell them anything more. Just say, just pray for me. Well, I'm struggling with guilt. Well, why are you struggling with guilt? No, I just want you to pray for me, okay? Will you do that? Take that action, and then here's the last thing I want to ask you to do. Come. Come each week. Man, sometimes when when God begins to work in our hearts and stir in our hearts because it's uncomfortable, we stay away. I know this is summer, and so if you're going to be on vacation with your family, listen, have fun, make memories, go for it. But if you're in town, will you commit to being at church? This is an important series. We're talking about our hearts. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for how you love us. Lord, I thank you for how you made us in your image. Lord, thank you that you didn't make us robots. Thank you that you gave us a free will. Lord, even when we chose to go our own way and we chose to disobey you, that you didn't You didn't just judge us instantaneously, Lord, that you, by your grace, sent your Son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could come back into relationship with you. Thank you that when we call on your name, you send your spirit to live inside of us and that you now, we have in us the, the power to be changed from the inside out. And so I pray for each and every person in here this morning who had the courage to say, I've got guilt, I've got anger, I've got jealousy, I've got greed. It's in my heart and I have not been able to gain victory over this issue in my heart. Lord, I pray Pray that you would give them the courage to share with that person whose name they wrote down, that they would understand that you change our hearts as we take action. And for those who don't know you, I pray, Lord, that they would know that this church loves them and will continue to be here for them. But, Lord, there is nothing separating them from you except for them just calling out and confessing to you their need for a Savior even that they could do that right now. There'd be people who'd be beginning a new life with you in this moment. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done and what you will continue to do in us and through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.